Welcome to the workshop. The workshop is more than an adult Sunday school. The workshop is a systematic discipleship program for teens and adults, which takes place Sunday morning prior to the service. Our focus is to be building disciples that are grounded in the basic principles of the gospel for spiritual health and for service, and to be equipped to minister broadly to meet spiritual needs around them and to develop and use their particular giftedness for the good of Christ's church. We typically run three 10 to 12 week semesters per year in the fall, winter, and spring. And we look at having some kind of missions project during the summer. If you're interested in finding out more about the workshop, please feel free to contact our administrator at New West Community Church and you can find us on the web at newwestcommunitychurch.com. Thanks very much. Take care. excited about teaching on the knowledge of God. I am really excited about this. And uh, I think that we have had a phenomenal class so far. Um, has Tim not been doing a great job? Yeah. And um, I, I'm excited about what we're going to learn this morning. Let me first tell you what we're no, I'm going to leave that for a sec. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get to our first exercise right away so we can get you talking about some things, and then I'll get to what I was going to say. Uh, the first question to get your mind working this morning, because this is all about the mind of God and our own minds as well, is this question, what does God know and how does he know what he knows? Okay, I'm going to give you five minutes. And uh, be prepared to uh, report out. Uh, yeah, I might not hear from everybody, every table, but you won't know who I choose. So you better be ready. Go. All right, I'm going to call you back together. All right, so let's answer this first question all together. Uh, what does God know? Everything. Very good. We're done. <laughs> We're Shut it down. <laughs> Good. Uh, I will call upon, um, I'm going to call on that back table, Rebecca, Rebecca's table. Did you discuss how God knows what he knows and what did you come up with? Oh, you should use the microphone. The mic, sorry, the microphone's over here. I should pick on tables that have the microphone. Oh, but maybe that was part of your plan and I just saw right through it. Well, for us, um, what does God knows? Because as what we have discussed in here, God knows everything. Yep. And uh, how does he know us? Because in Isaiah 46.10, it says, I know from the end to the beginning. Ah, okay. Very good. Very good. Isaiah 46.10. Very good. Very good. Uh, okay. Uh, over to this table that you have a mic already, Marty's table. Did you discuss how God knows what he knows? Yes, we did. Um, we said that God is omniscient. So it is an attribute of God that is not communicable to us that 
it, by his very nature, he knows everything. Okay. Very good. Very good. Yeah. So there's, um, so this actually leads well into what I was going to say before I answer this question is that uh, as with all of these topics, there are many, you know, adjacent things or, or other things that might not be just completely central to our topic that we would love to have time to get into. And we just, we just don't. Uh, one of those is the relationship of the incommunicable attribute of God being omniscience and the communicable attribute of God being the knowledge of God. Okay. So there's, we're, we're not going to talk much about, you know, about uh, that and, and the relationship there, but just to, just to recognize that, uh, that God's knowledge, as we will see, I'm going to use this word probably more than once this morning. It is comprehensive. All right. Which maybe is just a fancy word of saying he knows everything, but uh, it is comprehensive. Um, although I will make a distinction about why we might want to use that particular word. Uh, a couple of other things that we're not really going to have time to get into this morning. Um, we're going to briefly touch on the idea of open theism. And uh, Pastor Tim introduced this and how it is an attack on God's knowledge, his comprehensive knowledge. We will touch a little bit more on that. And I had some things that I was going to share, but we're really not going to have time to really delve into that. Because I do think we have some more important things to, to get to. If you know what you learned this morning, you'll see open theism when, when, you, you know, when it comes, right? It's not going to take you, if you know the real thing, the, you know, the fake, the error, that's not going to, that's not going to be a problem for you. Um, the other thing that's interesting that we really won't get into this morning is the relationship of sort of some adjacent attributes like, okay, is wisdom the same as knowledge? How are they different? Uh, truth would be another example of a, sort of an adjacent word. Um, so there are some other things we won't be getting into this morning, but we do want to define knowledge. And, uh, you know, when you try to do that, it becomes quite difficult. It's one of those words that is so innate and inherent to us that to try to define it without some kind of circularity, without it being self-referential is quite difficult. So you actually go to Merriam-Webster and you look up knowledge. It's got, you know, the answer has the word no in it. And you're like, ah. <laughs> don't do that um but words like apprehension or cognition good uh synonyms the idea of mentally laying hold of something all right grasping it apprehending it and i want to uh suggest to you that there is an external aspect to knowledge you're always grasping something that's other than you, the subject, right? I know my friend Dean, right? I know something about the Bible. There's, you've always, it's always a, an object is implied in the idea of knowledge. Now, this is interesting because we will deal before we're done with the fact that God knows himself. Okay, how does that work? Well, we're going to get into that. Um, but it is, I think it is helpful to first start with the idea that knowledge is externally oriented. Um, Wayne Grudem says this in his Systematic Theology. This is his second edition. Uh, Grudem is probably one of the well, most well-known modern systematicians, although he recently uh, died to be with, and went to be with the Lord. 
He, uh, he says, God's knowledge may be defined as follows. God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple eternal act. And this gets to and completely aligns with the two answers we got from our tables about how God knows. He knows it from the end, from the beginning to the end. All right. He knows it in a comprehensive way, in an omniscient way. He does not learn by observing. All right. In knowledge is it's one of his attributes. God, you could say it's a little bit awkward, but you could say God is knowledge. All right. That wouldn't be wrong to say that. Uh, God never learns. He, he just he knows everything. Why? Well, because everything comes from him. All right. And I say that. I say that not only in the sense of creation, we're also going to see that in his internal nature as well and, and his triune nature. So God's knowledge is comprehensive, all right? Um, and, and one of the helpful analogies to understand the idea of knowledge and how it really encompasses everything, how it is uh, comprehensive, is how the Bible uses the word know as you might be tempted to say a euphemism for sexual relations, right? Now, in a certain sense, it is a euphemism for sexual relations, okay? But it's more than that. What it does is it really helpfully and almost truly defines what's going on in a one flesh relationship. It is a comprehensive knowing of the other person, right? Now, that is in a bodily way, but it's not merely a bodily way because we are also comprehensive beings. What happens to our body happens to our whole person, right? This is why uh, the scriptures tell us, listen, don't take your body and, and put it together with a prostitute because you're becoming one flesh. It's, it, it's a spiritual thing. Even though the act is not overtly spiritual, but physical, it incorporates the whole person. So the sexual act is comprehensive and thereby it is called knowing. So all of what we're talking about this, this morning is really much more than simply grasping facts or ideas. We sometimes use the word knowledge in that way, but when we're thinking about knowledge and especially the knowledge of God, we're thinking of a comprehensive knowing. You could almost use the idea of experiencing something, right? So it's important to understand this. Um, one of my favorite Middle, e uh, Middle Eastern, uh, Middle Ages theologian uh, is a fellow by the name of Bonaventure. He's an interesting guy. You have to read him with, you know, carefully because he says some things that are wrong sometimes. He was, you know, in the Roman Catholic tradition. You know, of course, well before, you know, Trent and, and uh, you know, coming a part of the, the, the Protestant Reformation. But he says this. Um, did I go back one here? No, okay, that's good. Concerning God's wisdom, the following must be held. This wisdom most clearly knows all things, good and evil, past, present, and future, actual and possible. Thus, it also knows things beyond our understanding and things eternal. But it knows all these things in such a manner that it is not diversified in itself, although it is given different names. 
In its awareness of all the possibles, this wisdom is called knowledge or cognition. In its awareness of all that occurs in the universe, it is called vision. In its awareness of all that is done well, it is called approval. In its awareness of all that is to come about, it is called prescience or foresight. In its awareness of what God himself will do, it is called providence. In its awareness of what is to be rewarded, it is called pre-election. And in its awareness of what is to be condemned, it is called reprobation. Now, there may be some things that we would kind of uh, question there, you know, is, is wisdom, he's putting everything under the heading of wisdom, including knowledge, you know, is that the right heading? Uh, you might go, oh, Bonaventure's got this sevenfold way that he thinks about everything. Is that really the right method? But what I love about this quote is just how it helps us to understand just how broad God's wisdom or knowledge is. Everything. Everything. God knows the hairs on your head. He knows, even though we're just, we're just barely, barely grasping at how cells work in modern science. God knows all that. Created it. He knows the large things. He knows, you know, how, how the heavens work and operate. He knows the, the thoughts of every single person upon the earth all at the same time. And he knows not only, not only all those things, but all of the possibilities and contingencies of all those things. God knows everything. And that is astonishing. So here's our second exercise this morning. We still have a, a number of things we want to learn about God's knowledge. But even as we begin to think through the comprehensive nature of it, I want you each to look at a passage and to ask this question, how does God's comprehensive knowledge help you when you face difficulties? I am going to assign to each table one of these passages. Uh, this uh, group does not get Psalm 139. You get Job. Okay. Please note that Job 38 is given just as an example of God reminding Job of his knowledge. You could look into other passages prior. But the main one to sort of uh, look at is the, is the chapter 42. This one this table here is going to look at Psalm 139. The table at the back is going to look at Daniel 2, 12 to 30. The table at this other back to my right is going to look at 1 John 3, 19 to 24. Listen, I have a, a specific instruction for you. You need to assume that God's knowledge of your hearts in that passage is a positive thing. Okay. There's some question amongst you know, interpreters whether that's a positive or a negative thing. But I want you to assume in answering this question that it's positive. And then this group has 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 11. I'm going to give you 10 minutes to answer this question and then be able to report out. Go. Uh, knowledge of self. So let's go through some, some, some things here systematically about the knowledge of God. First of all, God knows himself. And... Uh, I stated at the outset that knowledge is an external thing. And so then we might ask, well, then, you know, how is that possible that this is an inherent attribute in God? Does God need creation to know? The answer is no. <laughs> and the doctrine of the Trinity to the rescue. All right. The doctrine of the Trinity explains God's self 
knowledge. Let's do a little looking here. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 to 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 to 13. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Okay, so the spirit of God knows the thoughts of God the Father. All right. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Oh, I think I better start from verse 21, though. This is a great passage. Luke 10, 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except for the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So here's an interesting thing to think about is that we know God. We know him through the Holy Spirit in Christ. But we do not know God comprehensively. And in fact, it's because of this that a lot of theologians will make a distinction. They'll say they, they won't use the word comprehend when it is speaking about God. They'll say we apprehend God. We don't comprehend God. Now, we could argue whether we need to keep that distinction always in place or not. But the point is that we never, even in heaven, will fully understand God. We can't comprehend him. All right? We see some wonderful things about who he is. And eternally, our knowledge will grow of him without ever arriving at the full comprehension of who he is. Who does fully comprehend God. The Son, the Spirit. Yes. And it is a full knowing that is more than just, oh, I, I know these attributes of who God is. It's a full knowledge that is, I mean, to know God in this comprehensive way is to be God. Now, some early church fathers like uh, Augustine in particular as they tried to find some ways of making the doctrine of the Trinity plain, they, they knew that material things only went so far in explaining the Trinity, right? Because as soon as you have a material substance, they, two things can't be one, right? So, you know, you can use an egg and it's got a you know, yolk and a white and, and, and a shell, but the shell isn't the whole egg, right? It fails, it fails quite, quite quickly. Uh, but the mind, the life of the mind, that, that, that's a more fruitful ground for trying to pull out some, some per, perhaps some Trinitarian analogies. And so one of them was that God is the knower, the Son is the known, and the Spirit is that knowledge. All right? So the Father is the subject, the Son is the object, and, and the Spirit is that which is between. Now, here's the interesting thing is that uh, this actually has an analogy in, I, I mean, it's the point of the analogy. It has an analogy in our lives that 
uh, one of my favorite theologians, W.T. Shedd, he states that, you know, even the whole world of, of uh, this, you know, the world of psychology would tell you that there's a Trinitarian God. Uh, and, and one of the ways is that we too are Trinitarian in the way our minds work. When you think to yourself, what's going on? Ever thought about that? Well, you're thinking about yourself. Well, there's, a, there's an object, there's a subject and an object there. But, but you're thinking about one, one thing. Well, how does that work? Well, it's because we're Trinitarian. We reflect, we reflect that is what I mean, right? So, and in fact, theologians have, oh, this is an exciting topic for me. I speak too much on this topic, but uh, one last thing. This is a distinction some theologians have stated. I, I think this is true between the beasts and people who are made in the image of God. So a beast, not, not in the same way as we know, but you know, they're able to look at something. They're able to go, that's something other than me right? A beast can do that. But what a beast can do is reflect on the fact that they're looking at that thing. They never think about themselves. They never reflect upon their inner discourse. We do that all the time. All right? It's because we're made in the image of God. Let's talk a little bit more about how God knows all things now because it's all things this is a very wide sort of subject i'm going to do this very very quickly i want to talk about the fact that he first of all knows the big things so for instance look with me at uh god knows big things so look with me at romans eleven thirty-three. can somebody read that passage Amen. So understand that in context here, and especially if you look at the section in Romans, which starts in chapter 9, chapter 9 to chapter 11, uh, Paul is answering the question, okay, what about Israel? And it's all about the election of this people, which is very clear in the Old Testament, and how God is going to bring his plans to completion, even though they, it looks like he's not doing that right now. And so here we're talking about God's knowledge of the biggest thing about who's going to be saved or not of God's not only his foreknowledge of that but remember it's a comprehensive foreknowledge it comprehends even his choice of who will be saved and who will be also reprobate or in hell so these are the biggest biggest things but God knows it all he knows who's going to be in heaven one day right you can't get bigger than this um and if I know that always when we start thinking about, wow, he, he somehow decrees who's going to be in heaven and who's going to be in hell. How is that fair? If you struggle with that, let me know. We can talk about it. I also have chapter nine in my book upstairs. If you, if you want that, uh, I try to deal with that in the book. Um, but it's important to understand that God, he, he knows everything. And that means he knows everything. And it's comprehensive. So he knows big things. But he also knows the small things. Uh, turn to Matthew 10, 26 to 33. Now here in this passage, the context is, is suffering for the sake of Christ. And within this context, 
even the hairs of your head are numbered. And, and he knows even when a sparrow falls. Now, does this mean that none of his children will, will ever die for his sake? No. But it does mean that he is in complete control when they do. And you can take heart in that. You can have courage in that. Right? God, God knows everything, even the death of a sparrow, so he knows the death of his saints. And so don't fear even when you face larger things. In fact, there's an inherent gr- lesser to greater argument there too, right? If, if God knows every hair on your head, how much more does he know the bigger things in your life going on? So knowledge of future and possible things. Uh, I actually, my PowerPoint is right. I just had my papers in the wrong order and it threw me off. So here we go. I'm going to deal with this very quickly though. Um, God knows all contingencies. All right. Uh, turn with me to first Samuel. No, don't turn me, turn with me. I got to get through this quickly. Uh, suffice to say this, that there is nothing that could happen or is possible to happen that God doesn't know. God not only, not only knows, knows the choices you will make, he knows the choices you could make and what would happen if you did. All right? And that's very clearly taught in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Now, what is interesting is in Isaiah 41 and in other passages, God states, he actually puts forward a case for himself against other gods to say, hey, listen, what other gods can tell you in advance what they're going to do and it come to pass? I mean, this is one of the ways we know scripture is true. We know that it's God speaking to us. It's because there are so many cases where he tells us in advance what he will do, and he does it. And when you start to think about all the permutations of how that comes about, it's just, it's astonishing. Especially when you start looking out hundreds of years. And this is because God has eternally decreed all things. And this is, this is interesting because it gets into that bridge between what is internal to God eternally and what he does in creation and redemption, right? Because his decrees are eternal. Creation is not eternal, but his decrees are. And so Christ is he's crucified before the foundation of the world, right? We see this in 1 Peter chapter 1, 2 where it speaks about the elect exiles and the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling with his blood, sprinkling with his blood before the foundation of the world. Right? All right, let's get to our final piece here. And I hope some really applicable points. Hopefully there's been some stuff already, but how do we use the knowledge of God in the home? Well, first of all, reinforce and explore the wonder of creation with children. Who has the passage, Job 38, verse 16, to read on their pass? On their, there's good. Beth, can you stand up and read that? Yeah. So God is speaking in, in a very ironic way to Job. You know this, right? But look at the expanse of the heavens, right? And, and explore this, this wonder of creation. Do this with your children while they're young, all right? Do you, any grand? Grandparents here, buy creation science books for your grandchildren, all right? 
there's some they're amazing and they're they're just you know some of them are so well done the other thing that you need to do is rest and delight in the intimate knowledge god has of you especially as you're doing your devotions especially in prayer like god knows you every one of us wants to be known and even even marriage doesn't completely fill that that longing but god does he knows all of us who can read psalm 139 who's got that passage you knitted me together in my mother's womb i praise you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made wonderful are your works my soul knows it very well my frame was not hidden from you when i was being made in secret intricately intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. Amen. So God knows you in a very intimate way. How about in the church? Well, let me suggest to you that hearing the word preached is one of the most important ways of accessing the true knowledge of God. Remember, only God knows everything. So you better listen to God. All right. Better be there ready to hear in an authoritative way what God says. Um, can somebody read Proverbs 2, 1 to 11? Good. So if you want God's knowledge to guard you, you better be in a place where you can hear that comprehensive knowledge of God. It'll be a blessing to your way. In small groups, uh, who can read Colossians 3.16, that, that passage? Good, Abigail, thank you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Good. So when we meet in small groups, we're not just there to hear from a teacher. This is crucial. We're here to hear from God through actually a bunch of teachers. All those who have been given the spirit. Who teaches each one of us. According to Hebrews 8. All right. Now, does that mean there's never a place for somebody to come in and teach? No. No. But, but we need places where each one of us teaches one another what we have learned from God through his Holy Spirit. Because you have the same spirit, the whole the fullness of spirit as anybody else does. So the fact that God knew who those people were who had not yet been called out strengthened Paul as he went through the difficulties of preaching the gospel there. All right, so when we're doing evangelism, that's a tremendous encouragement. And really, it's the only basis for evangelism, whether you believe in the election of people or not. So when we're going out to do street evangelism, we're going out thinking, there is going to be some people that God's going to bring us across our paths that God has chosen to believe in him. All right? And that is connected to the comprehensive knowledge of God and who he has decreed. That gives tremendous encouragement. I've gone a couple extra minutes, but this is where I want to finish. Romans 11, this, this word of praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord who has been his counselor? 
It was given to him a gift that he might be repaid from him, through him, to him, for all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Father, we pray that you would seal this knowledge in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who searches even the depths of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come to reveal the knowledge of God and in you is the is the, the, the full knowledge of God because you are the way, the truth. I pray this in the name of 